Nightmare Town. Hello, neighbors, and welcome back to Nightmare Town. We are Betty Boom. And I'm Mandemonium. And I'm Lynn. Who's a friend of ours? <laughs> also a neighbor, I guess. Sort of. More or less. Say hi, Lynn. <laughs> Hello. It's like, we live in the same town. That counts. We're all neighbors. Yeah. We're all local. Ish. Which brings us into the title of this week's <laughs> episode. Local Legends. I love a good segue. I do too. And it was so just... So appreciate it. It just happened. That makes me happy. Um, before we get started, I was looking at the statistics here on Podbean, which is our like main hub that we podcast out of and it was showing me who all has been listening to the podcast so we just wanted to say hi canada yeah man sub canada you guys are cool thanks for listening (laughs) (laughs) which is super fun since we are doing local legends but we're doing a shout out to canada and by the time this goes up i will be posting it from kentucky no and i'll be laid up in bed a mouthful of gauze for days. Oh, we'll get oh. some others. Oh. Fun times. It's tomorrow morning. Do you get to go under a day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that part's good, then. Sleep, and I get, I think, asked for food. Yeah, person. Oh, boy. Are you going to at least that seem too spooky, too unbelievable to be true. Whether it is the Mothman, Bigfoot, some old witch that lives in the outskirts of town that supposedly killed a bunch of kids for trespassing, who just happen to be the same age as you. Everyone has a story. And it didn't happen to them directly, it is always a story that came from a friend of a friend, but they swear to God that it's true. This week, we will be taking a look at some of our local legends from the home state of Tennessee. I believe I started last week, so Mandemonium, take us away. Also, we'd like to go ahead and say that um, Lynn doesn't actually know any of our local legends, nope. and she is just here because she happened to be at my house when we decided to record, and we're like, hey, come be on the podcast, and she was like, yeah, all right. She'll be reacting along with you listeners, so... It might not be the best reactions, but you're going to have a laugh out of it. Hopefully. We'll see. We strive to entertain here on Nightmare Town. <laughs> Alright. Go ahead and take it away, Amanda. Alright. So today I'm going to be talking about the legend of Crazy George's Bridge. For you locals of the Upper Cumberland, you've likely heard this tale. But for those of you across the border, shout out to our Canadian neighbors again. This is the tale of Crazy George. Legend has it that on an isolated bridge in a wooded hollow marks the place where a railroad worker named George met his untimely end. A heavy drinker, George was wandering the tracks which run underneath the bridge one night when he was struck by a train and beheaded. Though some versions of the story say that George's car stalled on the bridge and he fell onto the tracks trying to get away from the car and the train hit him. Well, yet another just says that he was stumbling around drunk on the bridge and fell off right onto the railroad tracks. Either way, the story ends the same. Locals will tell you that if you come to the bridge late at night and turn your car off, it won't start again. 
And if you call for Crazy George three times, he will appear carrying a light with him as he searches for his lost head. Some people do not believe this crazy tale and think it's just a story made up to spook you, or nothing more than a small town's way of entertaining themselves around Halloween, while others swear they've seen it happen themselves. I was about to say, it kind of sounds like the Headless Horseman. Yeah, and Beetlejuice rules called three times mm -hmm. appear, I guess. Or the Bloody Mary. I mean, do you call him George, or do you call him Crazy George? Because one of them just seems rude. Yeah, I feel like Crazy George would be offensive, but if I were a ghost, I'd probably show up if someone was calling me That's crazy. That's kind of just like a know? provocative thing. They're like, hey, Crazy. Yeah. It's like, Crazy George, what the fuck? Exactly. I'd be like, you talking to me? <laughs> you talking to me? <laughs> Like, you just wait till I find my head. I'm gonna give you such a thrashing. Such a scare. Just tongue lashing. Imagine somebody beating someone else with a head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing like a headless dude. <laughs> and he's just like working his hip. If it brings new the lyric with my hair back and forth, he just like. Quit hitting yourself. Quit hitting yourself. Quit hitting yourself. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, these wavelengths are telling us we're getting way too excited up here in Nightmare Town today. <laughs> so many. So, while I'm on the topic of this bridge, I'm also going to touch on the local witch's cemetery that lies only a half a mile from Crazy George's Bridge. It is said to be one of the spookiest places in the area. It's an isolated graveyard in a clearing in the midst of a forest. Instead of finding classic tombstones, the graves, which date from the 1790s, are covered with odd tent-like stone slabs, each one jagged and crooked, almost as if it dropped out of the air. A number of the slabs bear no marking other than a pentagram. It's said that if you touch one of the pentagram markings around midnight, you could unleash a demon. If you ask some of the locals, they'll claim they've seen mysterious symbols, shadowy figures standing in circles, and even dead animals enter near the cemetery or between Crazy George's Bridge. Though this is believed to possibly be from local occult groups using the perfectly spooky settings as a prime location for their deeds. Hmm. Um, do you know where Crazy George's Bridge is? Um, yes I do. It's actually not too far from your home. This house? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really not all that far. Not to be creepy, but no. I want to go. It's on Buck Mountain. I don't even know where. All right, so when you say not too far, I know where Buck like Mountain is. Walk there. I know where the I mean, railroad a, tracks are on Buck Mountain. Yeah, it's a, it, yeah, it's right up there at Buck Mountain, where the railroad tracks are underneath, and there's the bridge. That's Crazy George's Bridge, and then the Witch's Cemetery is like uh, within yeah. walking distance. No idea where you're talking Pretty about. Pretty much, you I just do. come out of her. Like you go. You come out, so you come yeah. out towards yeah. Smith, right? Um, Stop giving directions to my fucking house! No, we're, no I'm not. No, I'm not. I was trying <laughs> wait, to describe... Wait, we can get this out. I was trying to describe from the school. I wasn't going to name the school, but from the school. But anyway, it's on um, Buck Mountain in it's, Cookville, which we've talked about Cookville before, because yeah. we've talked about the cave systems underneath, which I'm surprised we don't have any... Like, I think Crazy George's Bridge is the most local to us specifically. Yeah. Yeah, like, because that's actually in town. Yeah. Um, like, we had to open this up to the whole state of Tennessee, because otherwise we were both going to be doing Crazy George's Bridge. And the Witch's Cemetery, because that's like the only two, like, local, local. So. Huh. But. 
Yeah, so to you uh, Canadian listeners, again, thank you. Um, now you know a little bit more about where Nightmare Town. Alright, so now it's my turn. Um, so I went over to a friend's house on this past Sunday and I was telling them about the podcast and what all we were going to be doing for this episode and my friends Cat and Clay both stopped me and they were like we have a book for that and then they went and cleared out an entire closet to find me this book that I'm going to be reading from today and they are super awesome and I am really grateful and I love you. But this is from Chasing Ghost Tales in Tennessee by Tammy J. Poor. It's fantastic. I haven't got to read through all of it because I've been lazy. But it has about eight chapters in it. It's about, it's over 200 pages. It has stories from Chattanooga, Adams, Oak Ridge, Harriman, Ocoa, Carryville, and Knoxville. This is just a chapter from this book that Cat and Clay let me borrow, and it's called The Goat Man. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a lot more buildup to talking about this stuff because it just kind of jumps right into this chapter, but I liked it, so I'm going to share it. And again, none of this is mine. I wrote none of it. You cannot sue me because I told you. <laughs> I dare you. Described as 8 to 10 feet tall with coarse reddish fur, with glowing red eyes and a pentagram carved in his forehead, he is known to quickly appear out of nowhere. Only rarely will he make low guttural growls preceding his visit, but everyone who has encountered him says he has enough strength to shake a full-size van. According to one small group of young people who ventured out one night to see the gated grave, this part of the legend is real. They had left their van parked at the top of the cemetery, and they claimed they locked the doors. When they found the grave clearly identified by a wrought iron fence, one of the braver boys stepped across the fence and sat on the gravesite of a man long dead. The boy, whom I will call Keith, challenged the spirits, laughing out loud, chanting, Goat man, goat man, come get me. I'm on the gated grave. The other two boys laughed ruckusly. They all three later admitted to have smoked a little weed before working up enough courage to visit the cemetery. I'll piss on the grave if you don't come out, the boy threatened aloud, starting to unzip his trousers. It was at this moment that one of the other males felt a sudden heaviness infiltrate the air and simultaneously heard the sound of gravel crunching beneath the weight of someone or something coming up the drive. Dude, I don't think you should do that, Calvin warned. Not only because he thought he heard the noise, but it felt wrong. Keith later said that he never intended to defile the gravesite, but the words came out unexpectedly, and he was simply goofing off. He didn't really believe in a huge half-man, half-goat. It was just good fun. The third boy, Billy, who had actually driven to the Red Ash Cemetery, pulled on Keith's jacket sleeve. Get out of there, man. Get off the grave. You don't disrespect the dead like that. All three boys agreed that the tension in the air was thickening and their nerves were on edge, but from that moment forward, they didn't agree on the details of the following few minutes. Calvin claims he told the other two that something was near the van. The driver claims he saw a glowing orange light behind the van. 
and Keith says he smelled a putrid smell similar to raw sewage and told the others it was time to leave. In any case, the boys weren't simply walking to the van, they were running. Just before they reached the van, the boys saw that the light was not behind the van, but it was coming from inside the van and the windows were foggy. Somebody's in my dad's van. Billy stopped running and pointed. Calvin and Keith stopped in their tracks. In the darkness, they could see the van. They could see the faint glow from inside, but they couldn't see who or what was in the vehicle. I just want to get out of here, Calvin said, and then he started yelling at the top of his lungs. We have a gun. You better get out of the van. Billy picked up a handful of gravel and chucked them at the van, pelting the windshield and hood. All three boys watched, waiting for someone to get out, waiting for something to happen. Keith shouted a few unprintable expellatives and again ordered the person to get out of the van. The minutes seemed to drag as the boys stood a tremble, waiting for whatever would happen next. The smell of sewage worsened and all three felt their stomachs roll. Finally, they looked at each other and silently decided that they would have to approach the vehicle to see for themselves if anyone was inside. Billy pulled his keys out of his pants pocket and wadded them into his fist, allowing one key to emerge between his clenched fingers while the other two boys grabbed more rocks. Their intentions weren't discussed or planned, but they all knew that they had each other's back, and if a fight was in order, they prayed the three of them could handle whoever or whatever was inside the van except no one was inside the van. The boys swung open the doors and the smell of rot poured out of the interior, causing them to choke and take a few steps backward. But the inside of the van appeared normal and vacant. As the dome light ignited the interior of the vehicle, the orange glow gone, the windows still fogged, but no one or nothing was inside. The boys quickly jumped inside the van, eager to leave, coughing, gagging, and covering their mouths as they slammed the door shut. Billy started the engine and select defrost and locked the van doors. Their eyes were wide while scanning their surroundings. That's when the unexpected and unbelievable happened. All of a sudden, there was a big bang as something hit the rear of the van, hard enough to rock it forward. All three guys screamed. Billy didn't think twice about shoving the van into gear, determined to leave no matter what had struck the van. He looked in the rear view and saw nothing but a strange glow as he backed out, slinging rocks everywhere. The gravel road out of the cemetery is narrow and visibility is not good, but Billy drove the van out of there in record time until they were all safe at his home. When they reached his house, they used a flashlight to look at the exterior of the van, noticing the hood and windshield of Billy's father's vehicle were a few paint chips missing from the rocks they threw. As they investigated the rear of the van, much to their astonishment, they saw three long, deep scratches in the paint, probably as long as seven to 10 inches near the right tail light. Billy rubbed his hands over the scratches, whistling under his breath. What the hell? But it wasn't until the next day that his father drove it to work that the strangest evidence was revealed. He took Billy aside that evening and asked him where he had taken his van and what had happened. Billy wouldn't dare tell the truth. Thinking that his dad had found the scratches, he made up a story about going to the corn maze. It was three weeks before Halloween after all. He said that when they had returned to the van, he noticed the scratches and he assured his father that he had meant to tell him about it before now. Scratches? Where? His father implored. On the back of the van, Billy admitted. Show me. 
Billy walked his father to the van and showed him the peculiar scratches. He could see his father's jaw muscles clench. He knew he was probably in trouble as the man walked around the passenger side and opened the sliding door. No, son. I didn't see the scratches. What I'm asking about is this. And he pointed a strong arm at the bench seat. Billy approached the van and could see the rip in the upholstery from many feet away, about the same length as the scratches on the back of the van. But he could see something else, and in fact, he could smell it too. What is that crap on the seat? His father demanded. You and your buddies will clean it out. Do you understand? Now give me your keys. He extended an open palm. Billy couldn't remove his eyes from the torn seat and the browner stuff that appeared to be dirt and feces next to the rip. He fished the keys out of his pocket and dropped them in his father's awaiting hand without offering an explanation. How could he possibly explain? When he and his two buddies cleaned the van later that evening, they were shocked to find a few short, coarse animal hairs protruding from the feces. That means they had to get really close to it and look at it. Boys are weird. <laughs> they were convinced that somehow the mythical goat man had entered the lock van, defiled it in the way Keith had threatened to defile the gravesite of the unknown but obviously renowned Campbell County forefather or founder. Someone of extreme importance if his grave was protected not only by a wrought iron fence but by the furied creature strong enough to move a van and leave its nasty calling card. Maybe that story isn't convincing. After all, the boys had admitted to having smoked an illegal substance and having a buzz, and they didn't exactly see the goat man. But similar stories have emerged from the Red Ash Cemetery. A few even happened when my group and I was there. But let's look at one more account involving the gated grave and the fabled goat man before I share our personal experiences. Do we like that? Do we want do we want to read more? I mean sure, but I've gotta drive drive home in the dark alone. <laughs> since I can't just walk home anymore from your home. <laughs> I'll just be thinking about this the whole You mean where I can't like stand on the front porch and watch you go to your porch? Yeah, you can't <laughs> you can't motherly like helicopter until I get to my porch and then wave <laughs> to make sure and I'll give you a thumbs up to make sure so you know I made it home. It's just being a good neighbor. You were a great neighbor. We miss you over there. The best neighbor. <laughs> the best roommate. The best Aww. mom. And everyone's mother. Like a good neighbor. Betty was Stay there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lots of clipping. I apparently have a really loud laugh. Okay, so there are two more stories that this lady tells. One is another one that she heard from somebody else. And the other one is her own personal story. I'm going to read the next one, which was actually my favorite out of the three, and then I'm going to pass the book back to Lynn, and then Lennykins is going to tell you the rest of the story. Here's Lynn with the rest of the story. Did you ever listen to Paul Harvey? I was about to say it, but you beat me to it. <laughs> I didn't want to interject. <laughs> I thought I made like an old lady reference and no one was going to get it. Oh no, no, I got you. Oh good. Wonderful. Vandeville. Okay. <laughs> so this is picking up from the last little bit that I read before I told you guys about Lynn reading stuff. 
so I'm just going to jump back into it. This story involves five young college freshmen, three girls and two boys. The boys had heard about the stories from Red Ash but demanded clarification in print that they didn't believe in anything supernatural. On that cool autumn night, they wanted to take the girls out for a night they would never forget and have a little spooky fun. I will use the names Greg and Charlie for the boys and use Gina, Leslie, and Karen for the females. Karen was a mutual friend, but the other couples were dating. Charlie and Gina were in the front seat with Charlie driving. He was he was reared in neighboring La, Lafayette, which is pronounced or like it's spelled Lafayette, but in Tennessee we call it Lafayette. Lafayette? Lafayette, Tennessee. Lafayette. I've been there. I know how to get there. I don't. It's a beautiful drive. I need GPS. Oh, sir. I, I will anywhere. I will be your GPS. With the help of the GPS. We'll go there. Now you sound like my grandmother. Me? Yeah. She can direct herself with like her mind. Not gonna lie, I still use a GPS to get over here. Yep. Because it's gonna take me like a month. Bru- I use my GPS to move <laughs> around this town. I'm so uh-huh. bad at memorizing. Okay. He was reared in neighboring Lafayette and had heard most of the ghost stories out of the ash. He was the tour guide, so to speak, driving slowly as he navigated the two-lane road, at one point stopping the vehicle near an abandoned coal tower to kill the lights, illustrating how dark it was outside. He spoke of the hellhounds and the goat man more than the ghost train and apparitions. Leslie, Greg, and Karen were in the back seat. They all enjoyed the first half of the night, especially the tall tales of ghosts and supernatural beings, though none of the five actually believed in mythical creatures. They each felt a familiar chill of an anticipation similar to how kids feel while waiting in line for a Halloween haunted house. It was easy to imagine things lurking in the woods, watching from the security blanket of darkness, maybe eagerly awaiting the arrival of unsuspecting souls. When they reached the cemetery, they piled out of the car and walked curiously down the small hills, eyes peeled for the notable gated grave. The girls would later admit that the cemetery was a disappointment, small and unkept, and the gated grave was a bit of a descent from their expectations, but they confirmed that what happened later would convince them to never return to the cemetery because something wasn't natural about that location. Charlie was saying, a witch or someone like that cast a spell a long time ago on the grave after someone damaged the headstone. She conjured up two hellhounds with blazing red eyes to chase anyone away who disrespected her kinfolk buried here. What's his name? Robert P. Wait. I can't read in the dark. He kneeled down to get a closer look at the engraved writing. Well, I'll be damned. Same last name as mine. He paused for only a minute. Some say that a group of Satanists conjured up the evil goat man for the purpose of killing off the hellhounds, but the beasts run together now, and if you do something bad, you can hear them in the woods, growling their menacing growl, and you can see their glowing red eyes getting closer and closer, and you can smell the rot of death and decay. The smell of hell itself, ripe with all that makes a man want to hurl. If you don't scram, the dogs will come out and chase you away, but it's the goat man who patiently lays in wait near the edge of the road, waiting until you come near, and then he'll get you. 
At that moment, Charlie lunged playfully forward towards Gina, grabbing her by the shoulders as she screamed involuntarily. The quiet cemetery suddenly erupted with nervous laughter. Stop that, Charlie! Gina giggled, but the fact was he had scared her. I'm ready to go, Karen said, huddled closer to Leslie. We've seen the grave, and there's obviously no hellhounds or goat man. No, Charlie grinned, engulfing his girlfriend in his arms. Then what's that that I hear? He cocked his ear towards the woods, and in fact, now admits he was only joking. From the distance, a bark could be heard. It sounded so far away. Someone's dog heard the girl screaming, Greg chimed. More barks joined the singular unknown call, and a mere few seconds later the sound and the pitch changed. And more fervor, more intensity sounding like a warning now. Rapid and shrill as it sudden as if suddenly several dogs were alarmed. I think you scared the pack of them, Charlie nudged Gina. Let's get back to the car now. Karen tugged at Leslie's sleeve. Leslie and Greg stayed started to move away, but Charlie wasn't finished having fun. Did you see that? Everyone froze and followed his gaze towards the woods. What? Leslie asked. I thought I saw glowing red eyes. He enjoyed Gina squeezing him, pressing against him, seeking comfort. He kissed her forehead to let her know that he was teasing. She shoved him away. Charlie, I'm going to... Her sentence was never completed, because at that second when she thought it was a joke, they all heard something rapidly approaching from the top of the woods. Not down in the cemetery where they were, but near the parking area, near their car. The sounds of sticks breaking and leaves and limbs giving way to a heavy pressure as the noises got closer were tainted with the dogs in the distance now yelping as if something had struck one of the animals or pain was being inflicted. Karen made the break first from the group and ran towards the car screaming, hurry, hurry! The other four didn't hesitate. They couldn't hear the noises of the woods because the sound of their feet thudding on the ground was louder. Karen slipped when she made it to the gravels and she fell down with a wince and a thud. Her friends scrambled to grab her, jerkingly opening the door, but it was locked. From the woods, a snort could be heard and they knew an animal was near. Gina was convinced she saw glowing red eyes and nearly fainted, but somehow she managed to keep one hand under Karen's arm to help hoist her up as Charlie unlocked the car and opened the passenger door. All pairs of eyes were on the wood line. The animal was very close. They could hear its labored breathing and could smell the wild musk emitting from its fur, an earthy aroma mingled with something foul. Karen let out a shriek and pointed towards the area from where an unimaginable beast watched them, stealthily approaching them. The look on her face was a look none of her friends would ever forget. As each of the young adults followed her concerned gaze, they could see something large with skinny lower legs, a hulking figure with steam billowing out, of, out from the labored breaths it took. They could hear it growling and snorting, taking slow, deliberate steps. Karen was literally thrown into the back seat and the others jumped in without concern where or how they landed. Fingers clumsily locked the four car doors as Charlie started the car's engine with trembling fingers. The beast was concealed from view as gravel and dust were hurled from the rear wheels of the car as Charlie sped away from the parking area. But Karen saw a glimpse of it, lunging towards the vehicle even as the car threatened to hit it. 
with razor-sharp teeth and a face of a demon with what appeared to be a black star emblazoned on its face, which was pale shade of deathly gray. I'll never forget that face, Karen described. Even through the white cloud of dust, I saw it jump at us. It had long arms with sharp teeth and a long and a large nose. I couldn't see the eyes exactly, but I could see its black star. It was so black against that gray-colored skin. It was the goat man. It had to be. Similar to the previous experience of the younger boys who had felt the strength of an unseen beast sway a van as it whacked the back of the departing vehicle, leaving an undeniable scratch to remind them it was a real experience. When Charlie and his friends examined their vehicle, they too saw long scratches stretching from the tail light to the third of the way along the right quarter panel. Three long scratches deep enough to reveal metal of the car. Scratches from an animal, or unknown being if you prefer, with great strength and sharpened nails. Would you believe it if you saw it? Actually, I have seen scratches from different individuals resulting from notorious nocturnal visits to the location known for many unexplainable happenings. Alright, so I'm going to pass this back to Lynn. Can we just talk real quick about how Karen almost endangers them all by falling and then shrieking really loudly while the goat man's coming for him? I mean, what would you do if that happened? And how I'd probably, well, I was going to follow Not it up for with how I'd probably be the Karen. <laughs> In the group, I'd probably be the one to fall. I mean, I've got the longest legs. I'd leave one of you behind. I might be five two and a half, but I'm really fast. Liar. I would actually probably be in the back. Mommy. We'll all hold hands and clothesline the goat man. Problem <laughs> solved. We'll red rover him. <laughs> that I bet work. nobody's tried it. Yeah, it might work. work. All right, take it away. Take it away now. On a different investigation of the same cemetery with a different group of paranormal enthusiasts, we participated in an amateur documentary with a small camera crew. We naturally caught the attention of many, pe many people who drove through the ash that night. At one point, we were approached by the occupants of a pickup truck of curious passerbys. After the young men learned that we were paranormal investigators, they shared an interesting experience of their own that happened one night as they drove out in the ash as it's commonly referred. It seems an odd feeling came over the both of them inside the truck, as the driver sang with a radio, an interference cut through the frequency and a f sound familiar to the garbled voice growled, indiscernible words, ending the music and filling the cab with a chilling ambience, starting the, startling the occupants of the truck. The passenger began to ask, what the, but he didn't finish the question. Suddenly, something rammed the rear of the truck, he looked through the rearview mirror, realizing not another vehicle was in sight, nor anything else was visible. He hit the brakes and rolled down the window, leaning out to see if a deer had run out of the woods and struck the truck. He couldn't see well enough, since it was nighttime and very dark, so he stopped the vehicle. Both young men got out with flashlights in hand. There was no sign of a deer or any animal on the roadside, but on the passenger side of the truck near the right taillight were scratches. Three scratches, to be exact. He pointed them out to us since he was driving the same truck as that night, and the scratches were so similar to what had happened the other, to the other people, as described earlier in this chapter, that it left me wondering how so many unrelated incidents could be this similar. On one of my personal investigations of the Goatman legend, other, another investigative group joined us. 
Although I didn't see the incident I'm about to describe, I did see the resulting scratches on a woman's back after she and her group entered the woods near the cemetery. She didn't see what scratched her. When it happened, she recalled vaguely thinking that the tree branches had snared her shirt and scraped her skin. It was dark that night in the woods, and the rest of her group was leading the way. She was the last person and thought she felt, and though she felt, an imperceptible presence. She didn't mention the scratch until they had reached, until they had returned from the woods. The burning sensation from her own nervous sweat reminded her that she had been scratched, so she brought it up to the group's attention. Although she wasn't actually bleeding, there were three long welts with minuscule abrasions wider than a person's finger width splayed out ranging from her left shoulder blade to below her waist on the right side. I can't confirm what or who scratched her, but I can attest to the fact that it did not look as though she had done it herself. Reaching that far around her back would be highly improbable. As I asked the questions about what had happened, it became clear to me that when this was happening to her, something interesting had also happened to us. Allow me to expand upon this story. On that same night, a couple of our group members independently experienced some oddities near the gated grave. At one point, we validated a cold spot when Kathy felt chilled and saw mist emit from her mouth when she spoke. The base temperature had been previously recorded at approximately 60 degrees Fahrenheit. After she felt the cold spot, she asked if we could see her breath, which we could. So we brought out the digital thermometer and tested the temperature. It registered an astonishing 38 degrees Fahrenheit. We asked Kathy how she felt at that moment, and she said, I feel electricity. Mere seconds prior to that feeling overcame me that made me physically move away from the gated grave. I announced that I felt as if it was as if I was bothering it, a nearby meaning a nearby spirit. Almost immediately, Kathy felt the cold spot. We confirmed the sudden drop in temperature, and then within moments I saw a hovering blue light at the edge of the cemetery. These blue lights, also known as ghost lights, are a common phenomenon experienced by many in that cemetery and in the area known as the Ash. I mention these occurrences because it was around that same time that the girl from the other group was mysteriously scratched in the woods. For some reason, my imagination can easily visualize a spirit intrigued by our presence and then becoming agitated with our intrusion. At the moment when I feel the distinct sensation of annoyance and move away from the spiritual presence moves away as well, passing Kathy in its wake, creating a large drop in temperature as the spirit leaves the cemetery. I see a globular light in its wake, then it passes the girl, the last person in a single line of people from the other team crawling in the woods. The spirit leaves a slight reminder in the form of a scratch that there are things not of this world which call this location their home. Am I suggesting that this is what happened? No. I am saying it would be easy to imagine this scene unfolding as it transpired within the moments of the first strange presentation at the cemetery. I also recognize that these are the sort of strange happenings that can make a location appear haunted. But yeah, Miss Poor just goes on to talk about, we're, we're, we cut the chapter a little bit short because she just kind of starts setting it up for the next chapter and it got away from the goat man and that's who I wanted to talk about. Big smelly goat man who apparently really doesn't like vehicles as much as he doesn't like people. But he also likes leaving a lot of scratches. He shit in their car. Yeah, lots of scratches and, and, and poop. Okay, all right. So he shit in their car. 
I would too. You would shit in someone's car. Yes. If I was a grotesque goat man, maybe. I mean, I if they, if they came to my grave and said, hey, I'm going to piss on your grave, I would shit in their car. <laughs> I would do it. I guess it's only fair, really. <laughs> I mean, it's like, hey, you're going to threaten me. I'm going to do it. It's like, yeah. What are you going to do, high schooler? It's like, high school boys are so gross. Bitch, wash me. <laughs> I make promises, not threats. But... From what I read of Chasing Ghost Tales in Tennessee, it's it's a pretty good story. So if you guys want to go and read that, I think I'm going to try to finish reading this tomorrow before I have to give it back to Cat and Clay, who again, thank you guys for letting me borrow this. So we're going to shake this hat and Lynn's going to pick our next episode. Shake, shake, shake. Just one. I'm going to diddle it. I'm going to diddle it so well. Oh, oh, we got one. Alright, what do we have? We have... Hold this. Hold my burp. <laughs> hold my wine. The Neighbors. <gasps> oh. Isn't that That's ironic? That's a perfect one. Isn't that ironic? I think that actually got put in there after we moved and then new Chica moved into my old house. Ooh. Well, you know what? It's perfect because I miss you as my neighbor, so... I'm just gonna... My neighbors over here are really cool. So... Hi, Jerry. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, subscribe to the podcast. So. Oh! Just saying. Cool, That's Jerry. Nice. That's awesome, man. If you guys have your own stories to tell or ideas for the hat, go ahead and hit us up at nightmaretown18 at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as, as NightmareTown18. Until next time, tell us a story. Bye! Bye!